First on the other side of this topic, this subject of you and, and where you stand and where they stand, mm -hmm. they are in the sincerest of their heart doing what they feel God's telling them to do. And so even though it might not line up with who I am and what I am, that allows me to at least look at them in a way and say uh, they believe. They believe what they believe, and they mm -hmm. believe it's godly. Yeah. And there's not an evil, malcontent focus in their heart to do this. They just, that's what they believe. And so, and I've always had a very diverse um, group of friends uh, theologically. It's funny because we'll, we'll be at clergy gatherings or something, and I'll take a selfie with one of my more liberal friends, and we'll post them. We, we do it almost every time. And their friends are like, you're friends with Rudy? <laughs> and my friends are like, you're friends with. <laughs> and it's just like, well, yeah, I mean, we're still friends. We can disagree on this. Even though they feel I'm wrong and I feel they're wrong, that doesn't mean we don't have some common ground we can stand on together and try to figure things out. Yeah. It's hard to figure out with the shifting landscape how much common ground really there, there really is. Um, there are a lot of things that we've been trying to build on for decades that don't seem to be weathering the storm very well. Right. Um, and, I, and I believe, fully believe, that our differences are too much uh, for, us sure. to, for us to hold the tension. We've seen it in the church. Uh, our decline is not because we've not changed our stance on human sexuality. Our decline is because we don't have a clear identity and a clear direction. You can walk into one United Methodist Church and hear this theology. Yeah. You can walk into the next one and hear this theology. Yeah. People today want sound doctrine. They want to be able to, to say, this is what I believe, because yeah. it's important to them. They yeah. live in a world that says you can believe whatever you want. Yeah. You can be a gerbil if you'd like to be a gerbil. And so they're teaching that. The world is saying that. Go with your heart. Be, be who you want to be. Do what you want to do. And they're looking for a place that says, well, you can do some of that, but here's some structure of what the almighty, powerful God has put in place for us. And people are hungry for that. That's the church growth we've seen in the church. So yeah, as I'm as I'm hearing your story and your accounting of of your adult life, well, and even your whole life, it seems to me that the Holy so you've had profound experiences with the Holy Spirit going way back, where you've actually give, been given this blessing of hearing God's voice and clear instruction for your life, which is not something that all people are blessed with. And then as you've entered ministry, it would seem that the Holy Spirit's also blessed you in ministry with sound financial uh, ministry in, in those places, but also with uh, an increase in, in the yield of the harvest mm -hmm. that you've actually brought in new disciples. You've been at five churches? Six? One was a two-point charge, so this is our sixth, yeah. Okay. In a short amount of time. And in all of those, you've seen... You've seen these trends of the Holy Spirit blessing mm -hmm. you with new people and with yeah, okay. and, and it is the Holy Spirit. Um, when when we moved to Duncan, uh, we told Staff Parish the one thing that will grow this church is a commitment to spirituality. Mm -hmm. If our people will get serious about their faith, and that's what I'm going to teach, preach, that is the thing that will grow the church. The Holy Spirit will honor that, yeah. and the Holy Spirit will increase the fold. And so uh, that's always been the the factor that has created uh, financial stability for the churches we're in. Most churches we've gone to uh, hadn't paid their apportionments. They're struggling to figure out how to pay their apportionments. Or one person in the church wrote the whole check, Yeah, and, and that's not healthy. No. And so um, in a matter of, and, and Duncan will take a little longer time because of the pandemic, but 
in all of those churches within two, three years, we put a plan together in place. We start working through that plan. And if you have vision, people, the money's always in the church. The money is always in the church, Mm -hmm. but yet they're struggling financially. It's because if you can't help the people see a vision that God's created, then they won't give. But if they see that God's got a vision for the church or a mission and they rally around that, they give like crazy. Yeah. But it's a, it's a huge part of your ministry, deliverance ministry. It's mm-hmm. not common in the United Methodist Church. Right. Um, you, you alluded to your earliest years of ministry being a time when you became uniquely attuned to this. Um, I, I forgot my first question here. Oh, how did this door open to you was, was yeah. the question. So was there a particular person who mm-hmm. brought you? Was it walk to a mess? Was it something else? No, so um, go back childhood a minute. Yeah. So um, I'm adopted. I was born uh, to a, a, a drug-addicted mom, birth mom. And so I had tons of uh, medical issues from it, still have some of those today, poor vision, had some teeth issues over the years, things things that affected. Uh, and, of course, back then they didn't call it fetal alcohol syndrome or, or whatever it was. Uh, in fact, uh, they had to wean me off alcohol, mix it into my bottle, just, oh. just to get me past the withdrawals of it all. So um, I had severe migraine headaches. Um, I couldn't, if I could feel it coming on, I'd start to feel weird. And if I didn't take medicine within a certain prescribed time, tingling would start my fingers. If it got above my elbow, I was done for. They'd have to take me to the hospital, Demerol shots, put me out, put me in a room, cover all the windows because I couldn't see. And so um, I was, that was from birth until I was about probably 12 years old. And uh, I went to a, to a, crazy church with some friends I spent the night with. And when I say crazy, charismatic. Yeah. It was actually higher dimensions here in Tulsa. Um, Carlton Pearson, before he lost his way in his yeah. theology, yeah. Uh, was there at that time. And so at the end of the service, they said, hey, uh, we're going to offer healing prayer today if anybody needs to be healed. I'm minding my own business. And my friend's mom, she's like, uh, hey, Rudy, uh, why don't you go down for prayer? And I was like, I'm Methodist. We don't do that. Right, yeah. for, what are you t- for what? What are you talking about? And she's yeah. like, well, you have those bad migraines. I was like, mm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'll, yeah. I'll live with them. Right, yeah. And uh, she's like, what do you have to lose? Uh-huh. I ain't got nothing to lose, baby. Yeah. Okay. So so I go down there, and I get. we didn't talk to anybody. Nobody talked to us. She and I were standing there. She was behind me. My friend stayed in the pew. And uh, I looked, probably 50 people in the front of this huge church, right? And Carlton's going down the line, and people are falling to the ground. And I'm like, um, I'm Methodist. We don't do this. And she goes, you don't have to fall down, Rudy. Just let the man pray for you. And I yeah. was like, I don't know about this. Yeah. And so he gets stands right in front of me and looks me in the eye and, and uh, didn't say a word to anybody. Nobody talked to him. Didn't write anything on a card. And he said, in the name of Jesus, heal these headaches. And uh, that was my first experience of being slain in the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit hit me, and uh, I could not not fall to the ground. And so I fell to the ground and um, just electrical current throughout my whole body. Just the power of the Spirit was so powerful. My first real experience with the Holy Spirit. Let me stop you for our Methodist audience for whom slain in the Spirit is crazy talk. Yes. The Methodist revival began in the context of a stodgy English setting, Church of England, that John Wesley objected to. Now, although John Wesley did not do the healing prayer necessarily that you're talking about. It was a regular thing in Methodist gatherings for people to fall down on the floor, yeah. for people to bark like animals, 
uh, to behave in ways that are, are very similar to what you're describing here. Yes. That was once upon a time very commonplace for Methodists. Yes. Um, so the culture that we have today is actually strange and foreign. What you're describing here is not strange and foreign to the early Methodist context. Right. And I struggled with that, too, because of that. Uh, we're Methodists. We don't do that. Yeah. And so um, went home from that, uh, just absolutely changed my life, gave me that, um, I hadn't heard my call to ministry yet, gave me that God's bigger than I can even think or imagine. And so there's something more out there. And so... Um, Did the migraines end? Mm-hmm. Yep, miraculous healing. Seminary, I'm sitting in class, and professor's like, who, who has a, uh, a provable uh, miracle? Provable? I don't know, you know. And so I thought, who's been healed of something? I'm like, oh, I've been healed of migraines. So I told the story, and he goes, okay. Did you have a migraine since then? I was like, nope, I haven't had a headache since. And he says, okay, did you go to the hospital prior to? Well, yeah. I mean, like multiple times a year, mm -hmm. documented medication, blah, blah, blah. He goes, have you been to the hospital or need medication since? I was like, no. He goes, you have a provable miracle. I was like, I have a provable miracle. <laughs> I can prove that I was miraculously healed. You're right, I can. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, sweet Jesus. Um, so so that, that healing moment opened me up to the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that I had not ever experienced the Holy Spirit before. Um, and so that created in me a curiosity. I want to know more about the Holy Spirit. And so when we were at Bixby as laity after I'd got back into church after my time away, um, the uh, associate pastor there, Steve Morgan, he, he called Piper and I out of the blue. And Piper and I both had have unique spiritual gifts. Uh, discernment's my number one, discerning between good and bad. So when a church member walks into my office and they have bad intentions, I know it before like the third sentence, and then I have to love them still and figure out how to, in a gracious way, mm. keep them from being evil to people. Sure. <laughs> um, and so, and it helped me in law enforcement. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so discernment is, is my strongest gift. And then um, Piper has some unique gifts of things that people uh, would probably discount, but she, we've had enough um, evidences of fruit from that that people go, oh, yeah, okay, they are real. Mm -hmm. um, and so this guy saw that in Piper and I, and he was attuned to the Holy Spirit as well. Um, that's one thing that I think as United Methodists, we've put the Holy Spirit in a corner and just said, well, we're going to pull you out on Pentecost, but just a little bit, okay, Pentecost Sunday's over, go back in, we're going to shut the cabinet door and put you in the curio, and you look great right there, just stay there, please. Um, and so we've had this aversion to uh, the Holy Spirit moving in our churches. And so me being open to that, this guy saw the movement of the Spirit in our lives, and so he asked us to be a part of a deliverance team. I had no idea what that was. I, I Okay, sure. What's that mean? Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to pray over people for healing. We're going to pray over people for uh, if the spirits associate with them. You know, this, oh, okay, yeah, yes, yeah, biblical. I'm good. Uh, good, you know, if it's in the Bible, I'm in. So, so I said, we'll be a part of it. And so we started with a really small uh, group of people, and we just started when people needed things, started to pray for them. And so the first really divine miracle we were part of, one of the uh, sound tech guys in the church was in a major car wreck, and they took like an inch of his bone in his leg and put it all back together. And so one leg was shorter than the other. Sure, yeah. And so <clears throat> we went, uh, he called and said, hey, this guy's really having pain and trouble. We're just going to pray over for him to see what happens. So our little deliverance team got together. And and, uh, and healing and deliverance are different. Um, 
someone might have a sickness and a disease that's not associated with evil spirits. It's just a sickness or a disease. And so make that clear. So we began to pray over this, this kid, and uh, his leg extended to the length of the other leg. And so I was like, whoa, this is big. That's, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Now, don't tell anybody because people will be like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that started the process. Um, we began praying over people's homes who, who heard or experienced uh, noises at night and that made them uncomfortable. Uh, some people would see manifestation of things, and so we began to pray over that stuff. And, and so this began, that began, that opened the door uh, for us to travel down that journey. Um, got a book called Spiritual Warfare by Richard Ng. Uh, oh, yeah, I've, I've read that. Yeah. It's pretty short. It, it's a very short book, yeah. but it's very applicable. Sure. And, and, it, and it breaks down the hierarchical um, of, the, of the Satan's world of demons and what that looks like. And so that kind of became uh, the handbook. And so we're doing this on our own. Piper and I are just figuring this out on our own. Come to find out as we start serving churches, and we've been very quiet about this because, again, it's very taboo in the, in the United Methodist system to talk about this. We'd been very quiet about it, but we'd have people in every church come to us, and they, you know, my kids are seeing things in the middle of the night, or they're having nightmares. Kids are so attuned to the spiritual world. Have you ever seen a baby in a, in a worship service? They're looking around. They're looking at the spiritual world in there. There are angels in our sanctuaries. I might have mentioned some of that to you earlier. <clears throat> Making noises, engaging, engaging the, the body of believers. Um, there are also dark spirits, dark angels that, that they can see. Um, and so kids will get, have nightmares or, or they'll, have, they'll have problems and, and the family's just distraught and we can't get them to calm down. We've done everything we can do. We don't understand. And so we'll go in and pray over their rooms and their homes and, and identify spirits that are there and ask them to, you know, cast them out, send them to Christ for judgment. Um, but what we do is we don't tell people, we don't ask them, what, are you, what is the kid seeing? What are they doing? We have a very good clergy colleague, and his kids were having all kinds of nightmares in the parsonage they were in. And so he said, hey, I know you guys kind of dabble in this a little bit. Can you, can you come pray over our parsonage? We're like, yeah, sure. And so we get there, and they say, well, they see. Nope, don't tell us what they see. Let's let God reveal to us what they see. And so as we began to go room to room and, and just pray over the room and anoint it with oil and ask God to reveal what needed to be removed from the house, um, we bumped into a couple of spirits that uh, Piper identified what they looked like. And then the, the, the mom, the spouse is like, yeah, they said it was like a clown. Okay. And so then for them, that's affirmation that God's doing this and it's not rooting Piper just. And we follow behind so many people that they, they have their Sunday school class come over and everybody's like with crosses walking around going, Jesus, bless this room. And we just hope. And, and if you really read the biblical accounts of casting out, it's, you know, <laughs> demon be gone. Get out. You have yeah. no authority here. Yeah. In the name of Jesus, leave. And so, um, as you're talking about uh, anointing mm -hmm. oil, uh, the way I've seen it done is just uh, at the, the threshold of each room, making a cross on the yeah. the, the top of each uh, door doorway. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Well, what what we do is we just put oil on our hands, mm -hmm. and we just rub a little anointing oil in, and and then uh, we don't. What we typically do is if someone's asked for something to be removed from their house, is we will find if it's specifically kids. Um, 
wife will pray over it. She'll go to, to Mardell's or, or wherever and start praying over crosses and find something appropriate for the room as a physical presence representation of Christ in that room. And uh, we'll leave them with the family, pray over them and leave them with the family so that it's somewhere physically present in the okay. room. Um, <clears throat> people allow spirits in all the time. Um, you know, we, we usually will ask some background questions. Uh, and what's sad is, is, you know, people will come to us and they'll say, we're having these problems. And we went to the last pastor, they say, well, we don't do that. Right, yeah. Oh, well, I'm so sorry you've been living for 18 years with spirits that's been tormenting your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's fix that. Yeah, they want to live with the migraines. Right, yeah. Right. And so uh, so we'll, we'll anoint the, we'll anoint the uh, crosses and pray over them, and we'll leave those in the room once we've, we've cast spirits out. Now, the challenge for people is we'll get people off the street that are not even associated with the church, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't cast a spirit out, and go back to the exact way you were living, and expect it not to return. Matthew, Luke, Luke, Luke talks about. Let me read it. Yeah, please. This is chapter eleven, verses twenty-four through twenty-six. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, the spirit walketh through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, "I will return unto my house whence I came out." And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Yeah, and so we find um, we had one specific uh, family. The uh, dad was associated with a satanic cult, and uh, he was a Satanist. And so a lot of people listen to this and go, oh, I remember the satanic patent of the 1980s. There was no, no there there. Um, but there is uh, a movement of Satanists within the United States. They're not huge. However, they are real. There's overlap with Wiccans. There's overlap with atheists. But there are Satanists mm-hmm. and uh, people who actively, overtly, proudly practice Satanism. Yeah. It's a real thing. It is. And so um, he had died uh, unexpectedly, car accident or something like that. Been gone eight years the kids were about 14 and 15, uh, and they were. Uh, kid would wake up, and there would be something, a figure of something setting on their chest, and it would scare them. They felt like they couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the daughter would see shadows pass past the, the room. Uh, things would be knocked off shelves and, and wake them all up, and they'd be scared to death. And so the mom called, and uh, they were the kids were in our youth group, but she wasn't in church. And so... We sat down with her and talked through a little bit, got the background of the satanic, so we kind of understood that there was a lot more at play. And, of course, he had left items behind that the kids took on as this was dad, so now it's mine. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of connection to the spiritual world in that. So we talked to her before we went in about the idea that uh, we can come do this, but if you don't plug into a church and start making Jesus a priority, then it's just going to be worse after this is over. And so... She said, okay, okay, we will. And so we went and we prayed over the house. And, and there wasn't a lot there. There was a couple spirits that were there that, that we cast out, sent on their way, anointed the house, prayed over it. Well, six months later, she calls us again. And I said, well, you haven't been to church in six months. We helped you fix this problem and you didn't turn to Jesus. You went right back to the life you're living. Yeah. And so that opened the door for the worst to come back in. Yeah. And I said, I can't help you. You don't want the help. So um, she ended up moving to another house, thinking she would just leave that one behind. She owned this house, 
She left it and went and got in a rental house. Well, it followed her there. Mm -hmm. The spirits followed her there because they have the door open to that. So the person has to be sincere. And we asked the question, too. You have to be willing to get rid of anything that needs to be gotten rid of. So it could be a family heirloom that someone has attached a curse to or a spirit to, or um, it could be something that, uh, that needs to go because it has so much connection. Uh, it doesn't always happen that something needs to th- somebody needs to throw something away, but I want to know they're willing to allow God to say this needs to go and then be willing to say, okay, it needs to go. So anyhow, we, we, we pray over spirits. We pray for healing, um, and it's grown. Uh, in fact, we decided when we moved from Jinx to Duncan that it was just time to come out fully public with it because there's too many people that are hurting and they need prayers for healing. And they need prayers for spirits to leave them alone because they're tormented by them. And so uh, we've just lived into it. Um, we've not had any professional training. We just go by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and, and it works. When we when we do healing for people, we uh, we tell them not to tell us what's wrong. We we want to assess that and figure it out. And Piper has a unique spiritual gift that uh, she can literally. God allows her to see. The infirmities in the body, and so we focus in on those infirmities, and then I take up authority to pray over those and and ask the spirit to move them through discernment of what words to say. Words are powerful. Uh, Jesus is the word for a reason. Yeah. So words are powerful, and so sometimes we can pray over something, and and it's not the Benny Hen, you know, it's not the coat swinging around, everybody falls on the ground, and and you know someone jumps up out of a wheelchair or any of that. But it's in that intimate personal prayer time that we focus in on that. A lot of healing is hindered by unforgiveness. People who carry unforgiveness, it's disease. Mm-hmm. It's a disease that creates inside of them that builds and grows. And so we work through the idea you gotta, you got to seek forgiveness uh, and give forgiveness in the midst of trying to be healed from, from sickness. Um, we've seen some miraculous things. We had a... We had a guy at Jinx who uh, had a double embolism, walking his dog, fell down in the middle of a middle of a uh, sidewalk, and they think he was without oxygen for over seven minutes. And someone found him, started working him, got the ambulance there, took him to the hospital. We met, we met the family at the hospital, and, <clears throat> and uh, I listened to the doctor. He coded twice in the ambulance, he coded three times in the emergency room, and the doctor was giving that update to the family, and he coded while he was in giving the update, and he had to leave the room and go go work on him. So think about that. Seven minutes without oxygen and all that. So as a pastor, you know, you're like, oh, what can I even do for a family like this, right? And so we're praying with them, and, and God doesn't heal everything. Oh, yeah, Paul himself, he had a thorn in the flesh. Prayed three times that he would take it from. Finally, says, "My power is made perfect in your weakness." I have been praying since I was back in church that God would heal my eyesight. I wear contacts and glasses. And I'm just a couple steps from being legally blind. They say, mm. uh, and and I prayed for that healing. It hadn't happened. There's a reason for that. It's mm-hmm. not for me to to guess that. But but in that situation, we Piper and I left the emergency room downtown here in Tulsa, and we were heavy. Our hearts were heavy because this is a Amazing family, faithful family, uh, church going, just just good hearted, God loving people, and uh, we're getting ready to walk with this family through this tragedy. 
And so um, we get home, go to bed, wake up the next morning. I get a call from one of the church members, and she's like, Rudy, I was just praying this morning, and God said, this is a rise up Lazarus moment. I was like, what? And then the Holy Spirit starts talking to me, and then got Jesus bumps thinking about it. I was like, yeah, okay. And she goes, well, I just kept saying, rise up Johnny was his name. Rise up Johnny. And I was like, okay, you're right. You're right, it is. And so whether I needed the convincing or not, uh, the Holy Spirit affirmed it to me that it was. And so we went right to the hospital. We got up, got dressed. We went right to the hospital. And his wife was there, and she's just distraught to herself. And when we when we pray for people for healing, we never tell them what's going to happen. Sometimes Piper gets the the knowledge that we're praying for this healing, but it's not, they're not going to be healed for whatever reason. And this one, um, I just walked straight into her and I said, hey, this is what's going on. Got the call this morning. This is a rise up uh, Johnny moment, rise up Lazarus moment. And so we are going to start praying over him that he will walk out of this hospital. And I said, uh, I said, I believe it with everything in me. I don't tell people this. I said, I don't share this with people. I'm telling you, God's affirmed me that this is going to happen. <laughs> and so... He was in a coma. We went in, uh, we went in and laid hands on him and started praying over him. And we left and we walked out. She goes, uh, Rudy, I hope this doesn't sound wrong. I don't know if I have the faith for that. I said, you don't have to have the faith for that. We've got the faith for that. God's mm-hmm. going God's to gonna, God's gonna do this. So then, of course, I laid the groundwork, right? <laughs> this dude's going to walk out of the hospital. He's had a double amulism. He didn't have oxygen for seven minutes. Even if he does walk out of here, it's going to be messed up. And so uh, we, we engaged, and God said, this is going to be a faith-growing moment for this whole church mm-hmm. because their spirituality was, hmm. And so we said, okay. So we employed the whole church. Anytime you think about that family, we want you to shout out to God, rise up, Johnny. Mm-hmm. Rise up, Johnny. We put it out on social media so everybody was a part of it. And, and uh, so he was in a coma, whew, 30-plus days. Mm-hmm. Before they started pulling out of it, and I think it was about ninety days later he walked out of the hospital. Mm. And um, he was a beautiful bass voice, sang in the choir with us. And of course, when you've been intubated that long and all that's all jacked up, and it wasn't uh, three months later he was back at church singing, mm. singing in the choir. And uh, so we've seen the miraculous. And I'm I'm wondering while you're talking, like I have heard people speak of such things before very rarely in the United Methodist Church. There are many charismatic bodies that that would readily welcome uh, someone with your with your gifting, with your account. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a much more hostile and disbelieving environment within the United Methodist Church. So have, how have you um, justified the decision to stick with the United Methodist Church rather than joining a body that is much more uh, open to such things? Um. If, if if you uh, want to help heal sick people, you go where sick people are. Who needs it more than the United Methodist Church? Okay, right. Yeah. And, and see, I think we've abused we've abused the the picture of the church. We've separated ourselves by gifts, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want tongue speaking and you can go be assembly, or you, you can go. You know, those people are over there. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you if you want mission work and social justice, boy, the United Methodists, man, they really yeah. care about people, and they, they'll yeah. you can go serve in all kinds of missions here. And so I think this idea of the of the universal church 
we've uh, we've we've gathered with like-minded people, and yeah. so we've cast and we've said some some gifts are not okay here, and so and we teach the church, you know, we didn't just dump that at Jinx. Oh, hey, all of a sudden we're going to start praying for healing. We teach it. Uh, we teach uh, Piper and I teach classes on uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, spiritual giftedness. Uh, if you want the Spirit a little more, here's how you do it. Here's the class we're going to go through. Is there a primary uh, person who has who has helped you develop your pneumatology? No, uh, no, That's there's theological not. speak for your <laughs> theology of the Spirit. It comes from the Greek pneuma, which means spirit, breath, or wind. Um, so no, this has been primarily self-instructed, experiential. Yeah. yeah, and and so here's what I and here's what I tell people. I say so. Um, you know, of course, the deliverance stuff, Richard Ng, uh, very informative on what kind of spirits you're dealing with. So I did educate through through some of that. But then I read some people, and it's just like, that's not biblical. It doesn't line up. So so I, I trash that author, and I, and I won't read about that. I'm interested to read. You you shared this. Uh, yeah, I put his Mike Heiser uh, does Naked Bible podcast. He's, he's very... Uh, he, well, he's one of the main minds behind Logos Bible Software, if you know what that is. Yeah. Um, but he uh, knows a lot of the ancient languages, has done a lot of the cross-cultural work with uh, ancient Near Eastern uh, religion, uh, other competing religions, so uh, has has a, a much bigger breadth of understanding of the ancient worldview and how it is that ancient Christians and Jews understood the Bible to speak about um, the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm, and the, the beings that inhabit it. Um, it's, it's been eye-opening for me to, to, to read about that. Um, I've read all but the demons book on there. I've read the angels book first because I decided I've, I know enough about the demonic. I, I go into the jail here once a week mm. and visit with guys that, are, um, that have been beset, have been uh, possessed. Um, so I, I don't claim this, the claims the same uh, spiritual authority that that God has given you over uh, the demonic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as, as we've talked today, I've had many moments of uh, something approximating envy. I haven't heard the voice of God before, even though I've, I've prayed for such things. And, and uh, I've, I've uh, gone through extreme rigors of um, long-term fasting and prayer, um, and I've sought the Lord in ways that, that you've had an out, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, that's wonderful for you, but... Well, I, uh, it's it's a it's the giftedness. We're we're all gifted, yeah. And it's as the spirit sees fit, right? So, and I've got I've got the discernment part. I've known for a long time that I have a discernment of spirits. That's um, well, I'm not going to tell that story, but um, even so, there are there are ways in which the Holy Spirit has not gifted me that I've desired and hungered for, and that that is what it is. So uh, I, I continue to petition the Lord, mm-hmm. um, but also you know as I as I. Nicky Gumbel, do you know that name? He's uh, he's tied to the the church that um, the, the Alpha Ministry. We've got mm. some Alpha stuff there. He does the Alpha course, uh, and um, his 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 uh, spiritual practices around um, how he chases out demons, does deliverance ministry, but also healing ministry. It's very similar yeah. to yours. He's he's not quite as much on the del- deliverance as the healing. Um, but it's just it's a big wide world and so one of the questions i had for you was um um how much of well so i i had the assumption that you came from a certain school of thought on it so my concern always today in in any spiritual exercise is how much is this reflecting the culture around us versus the eternal biblical reality of what's going on and so um maybe one more scripture 
is in order. Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 16. This is one of my favorite stories. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one, uh, Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So uh, what, what's the, what's the theological... So I hear you saying some people have a gifting and some people don't. In that setting, these are not people who confess Christ as Lord and Savior. They just found that there was power in his name and started shouting it at this demon. But then they don't carry the authority to wield such a name, and they get their butts handed to them because of it. So what, what's, what's the spiritual reality in that for us when we're looking at— this is not something where we get to invent our own rules. This is something yeah. where there's, there's an order to these things. There's a way in which these powers interact. What, what's that have to do with us? Yeah, so— um... Yeah, so I'll get uh, on the like Facebook clergy page. There'll be clergy all the time that are like, "Hey, I've got a church member who's dealing with this. I don't know anything about this." And you know, my number one response to them is find a clergy person in town who has experience, um, because people people can get bent in a hurry and go go a wrong direction. Um, we had uh, someone in our Sunday school class that was part of that original deliverance team that we started. And you can dive into this, and all of a sudden, there's a devil everywhere. Mm -hmm. There's a yep. demon there. There's a oh, demon. Sure. Oh, this is a demon. Oh, they did that because of a demon. Interesting fact. There's an early Christian document that uh, the Didache is what it's called. And it's, uh, it's from the same time period that the New Testament was written down. It describes how the early church did a number of things. One of the things it stipulates, not only were people baptized in the nude because demons could hang out in their clothing, but also women with long hair were not allowed to have braids in their hair when they were baptized under the water because demons might hide between the braids. Mm -hmm. So this is something that's not just a Wesleyan concern. This is an early Christian concern, the, uh, uh, an awareness that spiritual realities were real, were pervasive, and were dangerous. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, I mean, expound on that a little bit. And so in our experience, when we are casting out demons, they hide. They don't want to be cast out. They want to live life the way they're living life. They don't want to be returned to Christ for judgment. They, they want to continue what they're doing. And so they will hide. You talked about the braids of the hair. Um, you know, again, Piper has a very unique spiritual gift in that she is able to visualize and see the spiritual world. And so uh, when we're praying over uh, a house or someone or something, uh, usually when we're praying for healing, uh, we'll come across maybe there's a spirit attached to them. And so as we start to try to pull the spirit out and command it to come out, uh, it hangs on with everything it can because it doesn't want to leave the host. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with uh, objects or attached to hair or hiding. Uh, sometimes it could be an electrical outlet because it's hiding. It doesn't want to be seen in the light of, light of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, very deceptive, very, very um, cunning. And, and rightly so. I mean, that's what they do. They're cunning. And so, uh, and there's a hierarchical and so maybe we're dealing with a spirit that's in a house right now. The, the hierarchy of it, we have to break the connection to the hierarchy as it goes up the chain. Mm -hmm. um, Richard Ingbook talks about how uh, Satan has divvied up the world and it has uh, rulers over various kingdoms. Uh, you know, we think about Daniel 
um, he was fasting and praying for an answer from God for like 21 days. And, you know, all, all of a sudden the angel of the Lord shows up and he's like, you know, I've been praying. You haven't heard me. What's going on? And, and, and the angel's like, no, God heard you from day one. But we've been in battle with the Prince of Persia for, you know, all these days trying to bring. I, in fact, I had to come and help, to, you know, fight the battle. And here we are. We brought the message because we mm-hmm. just got to you. So there's a spiritual battle going on all around us the whole time. Good and evil fighting fighting around us, evil trying to affect us and good trying to protect us. And so you've got to break sometimes those hierarchical uh, commandments, command commanders that are in line to, uh, to Satan himself mm-hmm. to, to break that. And so it's a process sometimes. That... And someone might, might be unsympathetic and listen to you and say, uh, this is just all in your head, man. I mean, you're imagining all kinds of amazing things, but then uh, you're talking about not just miraculous healings, but you're talking about leading five, or six small churches in a declining do- denomination in an era of great decline in the church, and you've seen the fruit of uh, the Holy Spirit being present in your ministry in a number of ways. So I, um, and, and as I listen, I mean, you've you've seen me talk to a number of people that are in very different places theologically. I don't I don't see myself as an expert that can say with certainty this is 100% right. This is, but um I I think anytime someone is, you know, Jesus says you judge a tree by its fruits. Mm-hmm. And so when the fruits are there, you can't easily dismiss a person who's saying something that sounds quite foreign. So I'm 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 not preaching at you. I'm preaching at anyone who's actually sat with us this whole time and is going this is this is crazy talk. Um as I heard Nikki Gumbel talk about um, similar stuff to healing, I, I thought, uh, that's not in the Bible. We don't have any accounts of something like that happening in the Bible. Um, but clearly his ministry is bearing fruit. So I can, I can limit the ways in which the Bible is, is lived out today, or I can be open to, hey, uh, maybe the Holy Spirit is, is operating in ways that um, are similar to but different from what we find in all the biblical accounts, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm open to that. Um, so did uh, Jesus gauge demons? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, there is... If somebody's trying to argue that there is no such thing as demons, the Bible is about the worst book they can use to justify. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus, when Jesus himself is actively, regularly engaged in... In the sort of stuff, you, so so the critiques that I leveled is is not demons and miracle healings don't happen in the Bible. They clearly happen all over. Right. It's it's it would be the, um, you know, Jesus himself. Whenever he approaches someone who needs being healed or needs being um, exercised, he often lets them tell them tell him what's wrong. Right. You know, whenever he comes down to the, from the mountain and he's mad, he says, "What's going on here?" Right. Now he probably already knew. But, um, you know, as I hear, um, you know, Nicky Gumbel, what, something he, he would do is um, he, would, he would focus on different body parts while he was in a group of people and say, okay, someone has a hurting foot. Let me come over and do it. There's nothing like that in the Bible. There's, yeah. there's no group setting where something yeah. like that happens. But you know what? He says it's worked, and I don't think he's a liar. So, so do I need to say, well, it's not in the Bible this mm-hmm. way, so it's not real? Um, or do I need to hear this account of, of you and your wife saying, don't tell me, we can figure it out, and go, well, that nobody does that in the Bible. So no, no part of me needs to say, 
that's not biblical. Well, I'm just willing to say, okay, this is a this is a demonstration of power, yeah. you know, and and in the Bible that was not needed. Here today, I mean, maybe it is needed. What are, what are the purposes of uh, miracles? Uh, to evidence uh, presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, to show God's glory. Yeah. Right. So, what better for a person who I know nothing about, right? Know not what their problem is, for the Holy Spirit to speak through my wife and say, "You're dealing with right. cancer of this." Yes. And then for them to go, "How would you know that?" Yeah. So, it's a it. We do that so that it's a evidence that right. this is God moving and not us praying over prayer cloths and selling them for $25. If you'll just send yeah. it, we'll give you one. Yeah, there's an awareness that there clearly are charlatans in the mix Yes, um, and have been, well, from the beginning. We have these seven sons of Sceva that, that are um, treating it like it's magic. It's a magic incantation, right. and what we're, dealing, what we're dealing with is not magical incantations. We're, we're dealing with uh, the Lord of heaven and earth uh, making himself available to us, and uh, if we're willing to work with him, uh, powerful things can happen. And of course, uh, you know, I started this whole thing off with um, acknowledging that I, I really like Reformed theology and the ways in which uh, God's sovereignty can end this agonizing about my role in the world, um, but this is the opposite of that, where I have been given a role, and I, by my presence in people's lives, by my words, I can speak the very presence of God into their lives such that their spiritual surroundings are changed, such that their biology is changed. It is the opposite of, of that sort of theology. Um, and I just weighed in and out of it, and I don't know. I, I know that, that the Bible is true, um, and I know that there are all kinds of things you can't explain. But I also know, I mean, where I am firm on is, is where I was already firm a second ago. If, if you don't really believe in demons and these spiritual realities, then it's an odd thing to say you're a Christian, that yeah. you follow a man who did, um, right. who had power over these demons, and you're going to go, oh, no, no big deal. Um, so I, 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 for one, really appreciate your your ministry and your witness um, because it's obviously something that Methodists are anemic at, and I'm glad that it's an intentional ministry on your part to say, hey, something's lacking here. Now, I think something you and I would both agree on is even if we got our pneumatology right, and we're much more focused on deliverance and healing as a denomination, there are still foundational doctrinal issues mm. that, that, um, that are so problematic that there still needs to be a split. Yeah. yeah. But even so, I, I, I think the, the ministry you're talking about is a helpful highlighter. Um, have you noticed conservatives being any more amenable to uh, your ministry than liberals? Uh, yeah, so most, most times in the uh, liberal theological tank, there aren't any demons. It's not, sure, yeah. it's not real. Yeah. It's, it's made up in the Bible. Bible, yeah, that's, uh, you know... A pre-scientific a, society a story. had to really yep. explain this yep. in ways that, yeah. And, you know, and let me preface this. You know, we don't come into a church and say, hey, we're going to pray for healing, you know. Uh, we introduce it slowly. Mm -hmm. And every Easter at 5 o'clock... On Easter Sunday, we have an open healing service in the sanctuary. I pull out our United Methodist Book of Worship, and I read exactly what we believe as United Methodists about healing. Mm -hmm. Oh, we actually believe in the healing service. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we have a healing service laid out in our yeah. Book of Worship. Yeah. And everybody goes, we do? <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. It's because it's not taught right. and it's not practiced. And so uh, we break the ice with it, and uh, God's not a God of chaos. 
That's a good confessional statement, right? Yeah, that's pretty solid. Yeah. God is a God of order. Yes. And so uh, when we teach spiritual gifts class, the whole focus is to open people up to the gifts they're not comfortable with and to understand them better. And so we talk about tongues and interpretation of tongues, and uh, we talk about healing, we talk about miraculous gifts, we talk about all of those in great detail so that we understand that there's more out there that we don't even comprehend as far as our faith. We're just in this, we're the tip of a fingernail mm -hmm. when it comes to our faith. All of us are. And so we introduce it so that it's more comfortable whenever the time for someone that needs to be healed calls for healing. Yeah. And again, God's not a God of chaos. United Methodist Church on a Sunday morning, when we talk about spiritual gifts, what are the odds someone's going to step up and start talking in tongues? Right. Not in a United Methodist Church. Right. It should be good, but it, yeah, but it's, people don't do it. Yeah. But people don't do it. Yeah. And so uh, whenever I start talking about the Holy Spirit in a church, a new church that we're, that's getting to know us and we're getting to know them, we go through the idea that since God's not a God of chaos, He's not going to turn this church upside down with someone standing up and start, all of a sudden start speaking in tongues. However, if God did introduce Himself into our church in that way, yeah. it would be the least likely person that you would suspect to ever, you know, oh, Johnny, be good, 50-year United Methodist, staunch, grips the pew when we sing a, actually have an altar call, the one that, that you just know would never do it. They're going to be so compelled in a worship service to say, uh, God wants to say something and I don't understand this. And everybody's going to be like, what? Johnny, no. That, well, maybe it's real because he wouldn't just do that. Well, what if he wants to do it, but there's not a translator present? Then what do you do? Biblically, you wouldn't allow it. Yeah. But then... Across the sanctuary, Susie, yeah, who's been a faithful United Methodist that I've been in Bible study with, translate, yeah, says, and God's telling me I'm going to translate that. Okay, and everybody goes, Susie, what? And then God introduces that into the church. Mm. Now I've never had that happen. Right, don't know that it would happen. Yeah, but. That's just an example of how God might introduce a new movement of the Holy Spirit Wouldn't into that be a church. Fun. Mm -hmm. That would be that'd be yeah. If that yeah. happened, I would be telling that story for a while. <laughs> right. And and then we as clergy have to say, is it biblical? Yeah. That's biblical. Uh-huh. So do I shut it down or do I allow a new movement of the Holy Spirit yeah. in our church? Yeah. And so so we introduce it in a way that God's not going to turn this upside down. God's not going to make you so uncomfortable about it that you're in chaos about it or stirred up. Oh, I hear you, yeah. God, God, If God's going to move this way in our church, it's going to be natural, mm -hmm. and it's going to be confirmed, and it will be in a way that is healthy so that the church doesn't splinter. Because That's the last thing that God would want to see is a church splinter and just fall apart because of fear. God's sure. not a God of fear. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good place to end on. And then the 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 question that's going to continue as I probably continue doing these segments is, are we looking at the splintering of a church or are we looking at um, it being revealed that we haven't been a church for some time and that we need to reclaim the true church out of this, as silly as that sounds. So anyway, I don't have the gifting and power uh that, that you have. However, I'd still like to pray over you and me as we conclude our time together, and, and I just want to thank you for spending this time with me. Yeah, just remember, my gift's not any more special than your gifts. Oh, I'll, I'll gladly take comfort in that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Father, I thank you for my brother Rudy and um, for the ways in which you have uh, guided him and guarded him all his life. Um, to hear his story, Father, I've just been really affected 
um, to, to see the ways in which you have, have provided for him and ministered to him and um, forborne him, loved him, despite many uh, failures and, and missteps and some running away and denial and insecurity, doubting in you. Lord, you've been so faithful to him, and you've been so faithful to me, and, and really, Lord, that's that's one of your your key attributes. You've only ever been faithful to us, and it's we who we let you down, and, and we, we turn away from you, and, and we repent, Lord, of our faithlessness. We thank you for the ways in which you have borne fruit through us. I, I haven't seen the fruit in my ministry that, that you've shown through Rudy and, and Piper, but uh, you've been faithful to me in other ways. And uh, Father, I, I want to thank you for the ways in which you take um, clergy like me who serve in humble settings, clergy like Rudy who, who have started off halfway through life and, um, and had the humility to follow. Father, you, you're pouring out your, your goodness, your healing, your light on, um, well, on, on millions throughout the world. Your, your grace and your salvation has touched us, and we are forever changed, and we ask, Father, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit more and more on this world. Uh, Father, we pray for the salvation of all, and, um, and we, we thank you for making us a part of your saving work. So I want to ask your blessing upon Rudy and Piper and his church in Duncan, and just ask that you would, um, that you would prepare the way for your Holy Spirit to be powerfully poured out upon them, and that... Uh, that you'd minister to the Methodist, Father, as confused and spread out as we are, that you would bring order, that you would help us to be better than those who have walked this path before, that you would help us not to cause harm, but to uh, lovingly allow for coercion to end and for freedom to reign, and that we would use that freedom to glorify you. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Glad you joined us. Uh, I personally benefit from hearing conversations. Uh, I've benefited from this one greatly. So uh, uh, may the Holy Spirit work on you as you meditate on these things, and may you be a blessing to your local church as you engage.